Welcome again, I hope it's again, that others have welcomed you as well to this unusual service, or unusual day, when we have, we have two new services and uh, temporary. And on top of all that, after I thought I was going to have to preach in my wet robe, I locked myself out of the room where I was, I had all my, my suit and everything, and I thought, Jeff, I thought this might be the day our policeman's been wanting to preach for years, and I thought this might be his, uh, his opportunity. But um, so right outside this door, there was this flurry of activity trying to find a key to get me into where my, uh, my suit was. So if you have your Bibles, <laughs> find John, please. We're going to read. Oh, and I know you've already heard it, but I want, to, I want you to have your Bibles open because we're, um, I'm going to call your attention to three important words. And before I get started, let's see, uh, Liz, are you, where is Liz Gaither? Where are you, Liz? Here you are. Okay, Liz is in the back. So just keep standing there, Liz. Last week at the end of the service, uh, Liz came forward to be part of our church family. I'm going to get to baptize Liz. And there's her husband, David, and Lucero, and uh, Lauren, are, they, they're in child care. Okay. But uh, David, you're welcome, Liz. Let's welcome Liz to our church family. Thank you all. Great. Thank you. You can be seated. I appreciate it. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Some of you have seen um, TV Church. It's the, our new attempt at engaging people. So it's airing right now over on WHDF. It's, it's our attempt to engage people that might not be comfortable with um, church culture. Maybe they didn't grow up in a church. We filmed this, year, this week the, the message. We filmed various places around the TV, the Tennessee Valley, and we filmed uh, this week up at the new branch, the brand new branch. In fact, it was opening day at uh, the North Huntsville branch of the uh, Huntsville-Madison County Library. It's a beautiful place. <clears throat> you know, they've got a lot of books at the library. They do. They've got books on um, historical events. They've got books on famous figures. They've got uh, do-it-yourself books if you want to do something. And they also have some, some rather interesting books. There is one titled Cat Astrology, The Complete Guide to Feline Horoscopes. So if your cat is into to astrology, there's a book for your cat. There's one titled uh, a, UFO's, a, a UFO Hunter's Guide. So if you're looking for UFOs, there's a book on that. There are lots of books at the library. There's even, there's microfilm and, and yet even at the library with all their volumes, there are topics not covered. There are people not written about. And here's a newsflash. Even the internet doesn't have everything. Even the internet doesn't cover all the topics that could be covered. Even there's stuff even Google hasn't, uh, hasn't heard about. We might also say that about the life of Jesus. The last verse of John's book, and we've been walking for the last three weeks or three months through this, the story of Jesus as told by John. And in the last verse, he says that there's, Jesus did so many things, if every one of them were written down, I suppose he said that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. In the verses you heard read a moment ago, 
John begins by saying, John 20, verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in these books. His, his days were so full, his teachings so prolific, his, his signs so numerous and spectacular. Even, the, even Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John combined do not t tell only a fraction of the, the full life of the Lord Jesus. So John comes now to his account of the life of Jesus and he tells us that here's what it all boils down to. Here he says, it's why the Spirit of God inspired me to collect these stories and to write these stories. This is what it boils down to. And let me read those verses that you heard read. Let me read them once or more. These are one more time. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Now we're going to look at three important words in that uh, 31st verse. We're going to talk about believing, and we're going to talk about Messiah, and we're going to talk about life. We're going to set believe, even though it comes first in that list, we're going to set the word believe aside for a moment and come back to it in just a few minutes. Let's begin with Messiah. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The word Messiah means the promised one, the promised deliverer, or the promised Savior. Now, I'm not a student of Greek philosophy, and I'm not in the habit of reading Greek philosophers, but this week I happened to read a quote from one of the Greek philosophers, Seneca. Now, Seneca wasn't the big three, you know, Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. He came, in fact, a little bit later than them. He was in the first century A.D., but Seneca, now remember, he's not an Old Testament prophet. He's not a writer of the Gospels. He's a Greek philosopher. Said this, please listen. Where shall he be found whom we have been seeking for centuries, that one who is to come? Hear that again. Where shall, we, where shall he be found whom we have been seeking for centuries, that one who is to come. Isn't that interesting? Seneca was not a writer of the Gospels. He was not a Hebrew prophet. He was a Greek philosopher. But he said, there is one that we've been looking for for centuries. When will he come? He intuited. He knew by instinct that one would come. What he didn't know is that even in his lifetime, just across the Mediterranean Sea, that one had come, the, the Messiah, the promised deliverer, the promised rescuer, the promised redeemer, the promised Savior, just across the Mediterranean Sea, he had come. Seneca, the genius philosopher, knew that one would come. He just intuited that one would come who would satisfy our souls. Seneca, well-versed in Greek philosophy, knew that the human spirit longs for more than just wise words. Seneca, well-versed in Greek mythology, knew that the human spirit longs for more than made-up stories that try to make sense of life's mysteries. Seneca, well-versed in Greek culture, knew that the human spirit longs for more than pleasure and fine things. 
Seneca knew that the human spirit longs for satisfaction, for something that will satisfy our souls. There are lots of modern-day Senecas, people who sense, intuit, that there must be someone or something that can satisfy our souls. Modern-day Senecas are still looking for that. Good people, intelligent people, who ask with, Sen with Seneca, when will someone come? When will something happen that will finally offer satisfaction to our souls? You may have seen the headlines in March. They were in all the newsprint, newsprint and digital news sources. For the first time since Gallup has been measuring church membership in America has fallen below 50%. Let that sink in. For 80 years, Gallup has been measuring church membership in America. For the first time, it has fallen below 50%. In the year 2000, it was 70. In 2020, it was 47. The number of people who identify with a local place of worship is falling precipitously. Now, there are a couple of things. We, we, are, we learn lots of things from that. One we learn is that there are Christians, growing number of Christians, who choose for some reason not to formally affiliate with a local congregation. And that's something we need to take seriously. That's a sobering fact that we will talk about on another day. That there are a number of Christians who say, I can follow Jesus better, not tied in with the church. But it also says there's a growing number of Americans who choose not even to check Christian on a poll, a survey. Modern day Senecas, the, the thirst has not gone away, the hunger has not gone away, but modern day Senecas, good people, intelligent people, wondering when will someone come? When will something be made available to me? That will satisfy my soul. It's not a classic like the sayings of Seneca, but, and it's kind of a simple, simplistic, maybe even gospel song. But you, and you've heard me quote it before. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Old Seneca could have, could have used that message. He was still looking. When shall he come? the one we've been looking for for centuries. John would have loved to sit down with Seneca and say, buddy, he has already come. So, John says, I've written these things that you may know that the Messiah is, has come. He is the one who can satisfy your soul. Second, he said, I've written these things that you might believe uh, in the Messiah and that you, by believing you may have life in his name, life. Now, this is one of my favorite topics, the word life. The life in Jesus is a life that continues beyond our last breath on earth. It is eternal. It is everlasting. It is non-ending. It is not only eternal, it is it is wonderful beyond our imaginations. 
So life as a follower of Jesus experiencing this new birth means that life continues beyond our last breath, but continues, not only continues, but continues in a way that is more marvelous, more wonderful, more beautiful than we even have words for. But that's not all. Life does not begin at our last breath on earth. It is now. It is here and now. I've said this before. I love this comparison. When Jesus said, I've come that they might have life, he did not say the word bios, from which we get the word biology. He's not talking about blood flow and breathing. He uses the word, the Greek word zoe. John, in verse, or chapter 20, verse 31, I've written these things. It boils down to this. I've written these things that you may have. He didn't say biology. He didn't say bios. He said zoe. So, in other words, as I've said before, there's life. And then there's life. And Jesus and John both said that, that in Christ there's not just life. There is life. Not just in the sweet by and by. Ken Chafin was a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky at Walnut Street Baptist Church for a long, long time, long time ago. And he, um, there was a young attorney in their church, had just graduated from law school, and he was interviewing around Louisville. Uh, and, and he must have been really bright because he had several offers from several firms. And so Dr. Chafin asked him, how did you choose this particular one? He said, well, I visited lots of firms, and when I would go, instead of talking only to the recruiter, I would talk to the attorneys in their offices. And he said, I, in all these, um, all these law firms I went to, people talked about their salaries and their retirement plans. But he said, the one I chose when I talked to their attorneys, they talked about the pure joy of practicing law. My point is that life is not just in the sweet by and by. It is here. It is life at its best in a fallen, imperfect world. I don't mean to overpromise. I don't want somebody to decide to follow Jesus and then call me next week and say, how come I'm not in a bed of roses? I, I'm, not I'm not talking about following Jesus just for the sake of self-fulfillment, and I'm not really talking about merriment. There are Christians this morning in many parts of the world who when they said publicly they are Christians, their, their freedom is limited, their opportunities are limited, their, their employers fire them, their families shun them, their people, Christians around the world today, some whose very lives are in jeopardy or in danger because they are Christians. When I say Jesus offers life, I'm not talking about merriment. I'm talking about life at its best, at its most profound with a sense of purpose that comes only from joining with God through Jesus in both relationship and partnership. So we're in this relationship, but also a partnership, joining with God in His mission to make things right in a messed up world. The life He offers is in relationship and partnership, not only in relationship, but in partnership with the Creator of the universe to join Him in making things right in a really messed up world. And in that is life, it is Zoe. Now can people who are not followers of Jesus not experience good life? Is good life only for followers of Jesus? No, of course people. People can enjoy life without being followers of Jesus, but there is a capacity for Zoe. You with me? 
There's a capacity for life at its best that only comes in this relationship and partnership with our Creator. George Wade Robinson wrote, Heaven above is a softer blue, earth around is a sweeter green, something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. It is possible to enjoy life without Jesus, but there is a capacity for life at its best only in partnership and relationship with our Creator through His Son, Jesus. So John said, I've written these things so that you will know that, that Jesus is the Messiah, the long-awaited Redeemer, and that you can have life in His name. Now remember I said there's one word we're going to set aside, and it is the word believe. John said, I have written these things so that you may believe. There are lots of important teachings in the Bible, ethical teachings, moral teachings, teachings about how we're supposed to treat each other in the family of God, teaching, teachings about how we're supposed to treat everybody, teachings about how we're supposed to minister to human needs. But nothing rises to the level of one's personal relationship with God through Jesus. With all the other good things, important things in the Bible, nothing rises to that level of importance as one, one's relationship with God through Jesus. And there is no more important word in all of Scripture than the word believe. Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in, in, in jail, and, and you may know the story, there's a big earthquake and, and the chains fall off and the cell doors open and the jailer, assuming they have left, thinks, I don't want to face my Roman superiors, and so he, he decides to take his life. But Paul and Silas come running in at the last moment, no, don't hurt yourself, we're still here. And he was so moved by their character that he asked them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Remember what they said, Acts 16, 31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Now, we, we got to be careful because the word, we, we can, the word believe is not so simple. It's not an intellectual agreement with an historical event. To believe is not, an, in the pistevo, the Greek word for believe, is not an intellectual agreement with an historical event. It, at the heart of the word pistevo, it, it means to give one's heart. J. Edwin Orr was speaking at a university, a Christian speaker. A young lady, a skeptical young co-ed said, um, you know this Christian faith sounds too simple, it's simplistic. All you say is you got to believe. So Edwin Orr asked her, ma'am, do you believe in marriage? Yes, she said. Why? Well, it's a good, it's a stabilizing force in the country, in society. It's a good, it's a, it's a, it's a safe place to rear children. It's good for the spouses. Yes, I believe in marriage. Good, he said, as a minister of Christ Jesus, I pronounce you married. She said, wait, no, I'm, I'm not, I don't have a fiance. I don't even, I'm not dating. I don't have anybody. He said, well, that's the difference between believe and believe. It's one thing to believe in the institution of marriage. That doesn't change your heart. But to believe in the institution of marriage and give your heart to somebody, that, well, that'll change your life. I believed in the institution of marriage for years before I gave my heart to Carrie Williams over four decades ago, and that changed my life. There's believe, just like there's life and there's life, there's believe, and then there's believe. To believe in the biblical sense of the word 
is to have a life-changing experience. It is, in fact, to give one's heart. Years ago, I was on a plane between Caracas, Venezuela, and Miami. And somewhere over the Caribbean, the man sitting next to me, the, the flight attendants had brought, the, um, brought breakfast, and, uh, and he, he couldn't open his little jelly packet. And so he laughed and he handed it to me and asked if I could open it, and I tried and I couldn't either. But it, it kind of lightened the mood and we started talking. Well, he, of course, as you know, guys always do, he told me pretty quickly what he did for a living. And, and I said, well, I'm a pastor, which usually shuts down the conversation uh, immediately. In fact, you may not have heard of the rule at a golf course, if they pair, if I, as a pastor, if they pair me up against somebody that I don't know, I mean, you know, they'll they put you in a group. The, the, the rule is you got to tell them on the first tee, not on the 18th tee, or else they say stuff they wish they hadn't said when you tell them, finally, I'm a, I'm a pastor. So, but this, it didn't shut things down. He, it actually opened, like opening a window. And it was like he'd been waiting for a long time to have this conversation. Eventually, he posed to me a question, and this is what he said. Two men stand before God. He had obviously thought about this. Two men stand before God. One of them was a member of a church, and he attended regularly, and he gave money to the church. But he was not a good man. He was mean to people, he hurt people, his business dealings were unethical. The second man was not a member, my, my new friend said, of a church or a synagogue, but he was a good man. He was good to people, he helped people, he was kind and ethical and moral, and the world was a better place because he was there. Now he said, Remember, the first man's a member of a church, but not a good guy. And the second man is not a member, but uh, he is a good guy. And then he paused for dramatic effect, and he asked me, which one gets into heaven? Mm. How would you have answered? I began by saying, I'm not on the committee, the membership committee. I'm not even a consultant. God doesn't consult with me as to who's in and who's out and who gets in and who doesn't. I, I made that real clear. But I felt like he deserved an answer, an honest answer. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what I think. Based on what you've told me, I think the answer is neither. I said, the first guy is a member of a church, and that's good, but there's no evidence of a life transformation. He doesn't give evidence of what Jesus called a new birth. And I told him, I said, Jesus himself said that everyone who says, Lord, Lord, does not enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father. So I tried to explain that. And then I said, the other guy sounds like a really nice and likable fellow. But I said, in God's scheme of things, there's more than being nice and likable. I talked about 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, I said, the Bible says we're saved by grace. That's God's unconditional, undeserved, unlimited love through faith, which is another way of saying believe. Not by deeds or, or good works. So I said, you, you, you can't nice yourself into heaven. You can't good deeds yourself into heaven. It really does come down, John said, I've written all these things so that you may believe. Not to agree intellectually with an historical fact. Not to say there was a person named Jesus. But to believe. God so profoundly loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that anybody, anywhere, who had done anything could believe. And he or she would not perish, but have eternal life, life that never ends, and life at its best in a fallen, imperfect world. And it all boils down to this. Will you choose to believe? Will you give your heart to the only one who can satisfy it? That is what it all boils down to. And I haven't said this in over a year. But we're going to sing hymn number 497, which is, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I invite you to come. Others are going to be singing, but I'm going to invite you to do what Liz did last week, what Michael and Casey did about three weeks ago, and that's to come during this, this hymn. And let's talk about what it means to believe, to follow Jesus. If you already are a follower of Jesus, and maybe like Michael, you have not yet gone public with your faith in baptism, then come and let's do that. Let's settle that. Or if you're sensing that God is leading you to be a part of our church family, you would be more than welcomed here. You come too, while others with masks on are singing. Let's stand, please.